Hey, my name's Adam, and I am the West Shore Campus Pastor here at Coastline Church on beautiful Vancouver Island. Welcome to our podcast. All the content that you will find here is meant to point you to Jesus and encourage you in your journey wherever it is that you find yourself. So thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy the message. I, I, the pro, I walked up and I was laughing and she said, are you laughing at me? And I was like, no, I'm not laughing at you. I was laughing because you just asked what the, the uh, church app was and it was very obvious that I haven't downloaded it because I had no idea what it was. And I was like, oh, great. You just outed me. And so, awesome. You know, uh, God is so good. I am so thankful to be able to do this with you, pretty lady. I like you a lot. Um, and, um, you know, I just, I just want, I really want to encourage you today. When, when we come into church, when we come into the, the presence of God, we, we can leave different than the way that we came in. And, and some of you raised your hands earlier to receive healing. And I believe that God heals. Uh, I've seen people, heard stories of people being healed in this very church. In a, since we've been here, God, God has been moving. And I want to encourage you, because some of you are going to have a story, and you're going to be able to come back and say to me, Pastor Adam, you won't even believe it. I got healed last week. We want to hear about that. We want to be able to share your story so we can encourage one another. Some of you may be here, and you're like, whoa, I didn't, I didn't get healed. Does God hate me? No. <laughs> That's not how this works. The, the ultimate statistic is that um, one out of one people die, right? That's a little bit discouraging, but that is part of our reality. Um, at the end of the day, even the people that Jesus raised from the dead um, ended up passing away at some point. Um, so we, we have this tension as human beings. We live in this tension where, where we have this promised hope, like we have heaven out there, we know it's coming, and we have this ability to call on these little pieces of heaven to touch us, touch us now. But at the end of the day, on this side, as we live right now, we have to wrestle with this tension of, of, of our bodies and, and, and who we are. And so within that, there's a sweet spot where you can, if you can find yourself in a place where it's like, Lord, I want you to heal me. I need you to heal me. But even if you don't, I will serve you. That is a sweet spot when it comes to being able to live out the fullness of your, of your Christian faith. Um, we're, we're starting a brand new series here. And what we're doing is we're looking at the, the, the Father's heart. And for the next three weeks, uh, this week it's me. Next week, Pastor Lucas is going to be sharing. Next week after that is me, Pastor Andy. And three different perspectives um, at all of our different campuses on, on the Father's heart for us. Christianity at its core is not just a religion or a worldview. It's a, it's a relationship with, a, with, a, with a, a person. It's a relationship with God, God the, the Father. And as we step into Christmas, and a lot of this, some of you are like, Ugh, I don't want to talk about Christmas. Some of you are like, I want to talk about Christmas. This is exciting. When I came to work this morning, or I shouldn't say work, when I came into church this morning, um, Awkward. Uh, uh, when I came to church this morning, they were listening to Christmas music as I walked in. And part of me was like, ugh. The other part of me was like, this is fun. And, and, and so, so it's a little bit, little bit mixed message here. But what's fascinating about Christmas is that even if you don't profess Jesus as your Lord and Savior, there is this openness that comes at Christmas time for people. We didn't grow up going to church, but every Christmas, my mom would always bring us to a Christmas Eve service. She'd pick different ones throughout the city because to her, it was Christmas Eve. 
And so part of the heart of this particular series is to prepare our hearts as a church for, for kind of the harvest that exists in, in December all, all around us. There, there's people all, all around us, all of us, have people in our lives who, who do not know the Lord. And so the hope would be that through this series, over these next few weeks, God would stir something inside of us to, to, to step out of our comfort zones and to not just experience the love of the Father or the heart of the Father for ourselves, but to also help and model that, show that, live a little bit different this holiday season so that way we can see God move in greater ways in people's lives who maybe never thought God could ever do anything. And so that's the heart, that's the plan. We're going to be looking at the story of the Good Samaritan. So if you have your Bibles with you, why don't you turn with me to Luke chapter 10. And we're going to read this together. Or actually, I'm going to read it. You're going to follow along with me. But uh, it's going to be good. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. We'll start right there. Because this is interesting. We need this as a precursor. One day, an expert in the religious law steps up. And he stands up. They said he stood up and he went to test Jesus by asking him this question. He said, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And actually, that's actually a really, really good question. Like, like what's the point of Christianity? <laughs> like, 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 how does this whole thing work? What on earth, teacher, should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replies, well, goodness gracious, you're an expert in the religious law. He says, what does the law of Moses say? How, how do you read it? And the man answers like this. He says, well, obviously. It says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and all your mind. Oh, and you need to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, right, right, exclamation point. He said, you got it, that's right. Jesus told him, do this and you will live. Then in verse 29, the man wanted to justify his actions. So he asks a follow-up question. And this time he looks at Jesus and he says, well, Jesus, then um, who's your neighbor? Like, who is your neighbor that you're supposed to love as yourself? Like the, the fellow Jews? The person who lives right next, next door to me? Is, is it that literal? Who is my neighbor? And that is a very great question that I want to build off of. Because what does loving our neighbor actually look like? Or another way to frame it is this. What does practicing the Christian faith look like outside of the church? Because many of us, we can kind of intuitively guess what it looks like to practice Christianity in here. But what does it actually look like to practice Christianity when we're living at home, when we're going to work, when we're going to school? What does that look like? Because it's one thing to be Christian in here, but what does it mean to be Christian in the middle of Costco? Because that's not easy. <laughs> and it's not easy to be Christian when you pick up your kids at school and you're waiting in the school line. That's not an easy place to be a Christian either. <laughs> There's lots of places where it's not easy. It's not intuitive. It's not, um, it's not easy to be a Christian. And so what does it look like in those moments? How do we, how do we love the unlovable? Right? Because as Christians, like, or as any human, like, it's easy to love the loving people. Like, it's easy to love your friends. 
It's easy to love the neighbor who also mows your part of the grass in front of your house. It's easy to love that guy. It's easy to love the neighbor who helps bring your garbages up when you forget to bring them up. It's easy to love the neighbor who helps you shovel your driveway. It's not as easy to love the neighbor who throws his brush into your yard when you're not looking. Like, it's not easy to love the neighbor who lets his dog poop on your grass. It's not as easy to love the neighbor who yells at your kids. Like, it's not as easy to do that. Not that I'm speaking from experience. (laughs) It's easy to love the kind people. It's easy to love the forgiving people. It's easy to love the people who, who look like us. It's easy to love the people who act like us. It's easy to love the people who think like us. It's easy to love the people who sin like us. It's weird. Like we have tons of grace with people who who sin the same way we do. But as soon as somebody sins a little bit differently, we're like, I can't ever love that person. What are they doing at the church? It doesn't work like this. Loving those who are different those you you don't know, those you don't agree with, those who you may 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 even put in the enemy category. <laughs> Loving those types of people takes special effort. Loving those spe- those types of people takes intentionality, and it takes it takes to be honest, it takes a a, a there's a there's a supernatural piece that applies in that situation as well. And at the end of the day, this is the heart of the Father when it comes to Christianity. To be able to love your neighbor, the awkward, annoying, frustrating neighbor, just as much as the awesome, pleasant, and forgiving and kind neighbor as well. Let's look at how Jesus answers this particular question. How do we love our neighbor? Look with me at verse 30. So in verse 30, it's interesting because Jesus doesn't just go and say, this is how you do it. <laughs> that, just, that was in the moment. That's not even my notes. I'm just feeling it today. I'm feeling it. This is what he says in verse 30. That was amazing. Jesus replied with a story instead. And this is what he says. He says, listen, uh, religious teacher, um, a, a Jewish man, and I can't help but imagine Jesus being like, much like yourself, creating some context for him. A, a, a Jewish man, much like yourself, was traveling. And he was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and then he was attacked by bandits. So everybody's like, ooh, this is an exciting story. Tell me more, Jesus. What are you doing? Where are you going with this? Then they stripped off his clothes. Then they beat him up. And then they left him half dead beside the road. Everybody's like, whoa, Jesus, you're making this dark. Why, why, are you, why are you getting like that, Jesus? And then verse 31, Jesus is like, by chance. Like, like, imagine, of all the people in the world, by chance, a priest comes along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. In other words, Mr. Teacher of Religious Law, expert in religious law. Imagine a person just like you was walking down the road. <coughs> you were attacked by bandits. And of all people who can come and rescue you and help you, a priest came. But the priest actually doesn't come and help you. 
The priest instead goes and walks on the other side of the road to avoid you. Oh, for one. He continues. How about this one? Let me use this as an example. He says, a temple assistant. Another person of the faith. If anybody would know and should know and could know how to respond in a situation like this, it'd be a temple assistant. So a temple assistant comes, and you're thinking to yourself, oh, yes, okay, perfect, great analogy. They're going to come and save the day. But it doesn't work like that. It says, a temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he was also, pa also passed by to the other side of the road. Now we're 0 for 2. 0 for 2, people who can come and make a difference and, and, and love your neighbor. Verse 33 comes. How about this, Jesus says. Then a despised Samaritan comes along. 0 for 3, perhaps? No. A despised Samaritan comes along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. And going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them all up. This is interesting. It speaks this idea that when this, this despised Samaritan, Jesus was trying to pick somebody who's the most unlikely person who would help this particular person. I know, I'm going to pick the Samaritan. It says that when this despised person saw that he was injured, saw that he needed help, he, he felt something. And there's something interesting about Christianity. You see, see, the eye actually ignites something inside of the heart. See, what Jesus alludes to here is that sometimes as Christians, sometimes as the church, we can develop a blindness to the needs of those around us. And this isn't necessarily because we're bad people. And that's what we would tell ourselves. Oh, I'm a bad Christian, I'm a bad person. Ugh, I suck. This isn't about that. But what happens is sometimes we develop a blindness because sometimes, if we're honest, maybe we're just too busy to notice. And sometimes, if we're honest, maybe we're just we're preoccupied. There's, there's other stuff going on. Like, it's not easy being a Christian in 2023. And we're a little preoccupied at the moment. And inflation is brutal and housing is crazy and life is nuts and the school system is, ah, what am I going to do? It's hard to be a Christian. We're overwhelmed with our own stuff. And here is exactly the problem that Jesus is highlighting. It's as if he's saying, listen, we got a little bit of a problem here. Because somehow, and it was never meant to be this way, but somehow it's become possible for people to call themselves a Christian and not actually act like one. <laughs> I, went, I went fly fishing a couple years ago, a couple summers ago with a friend, and I got hooked. Pun intended. I, I was like, wow, fly fishing is awesome. I'm going to do this. This is like artistry. Being able to fly fish is amazing. So what did I do? I did what every other impulsive man does. I went out and outfitted my whole self. New fly rod, belly boat, chest waders, fly gear. I've got it all. I can, I can, I can catch any fish I want if I actually used it. <laughs> You see, all of my fly fishing stuff lives in my storage room, and I've never actually ever put it in the water. <laughs> ever. 
just because I have the stuff doesn't mean that I've experienced the thrill of catching a fish. And I can call myself a fly fisherman because I have all the things and I've been out once. And I can call myself a fly fisherman. But really, honestly, am I? Because I, I don't actually live it out. I don't actually put it into practice. I have all the things. If you looked at me and you saw my storage room, you'd be like, wow, Adam is really into fly fishing. But if you looked at the way I lived my day-to-day -day life, you'd say, you know what? I don't think he knows what he's doing. And the same happens with Christianity. We collect the stuff. We do the Christian things. We, we, we say the Christian things. When it comes to actually walking it out, there's this disconnect between what we say we are and how we actually live it out and put it into practice. Amen. Good preaching, bro. That's a good one. And Jesus, what he does all throughout the scriptures is he actually models this like kind of like I-heart connection for us. This is how he, how he, how he practiced Christianity. Let's look at uh, Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. It says, Jesus traveled throughout all the towns and the villages of the area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. That's pretty Christian stuff. He's in the kingdom, he's in the synagogues, he's in the church buildings, doing the Christian thing. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. Pretty good flex. Verse 36, though. But he saw the crowds, saw them. He felt compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. There's something to be said about the way Jesus saw people. The way Jesus saw his time on the earth. Verse 14, uh, Matthew 14, 14. It says this, totally, totally different story. And again, it says, Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat. And once again, it says he had compassion on them, and then he went and healed the sick. So what I want to do uh, this morning is I want to introduce you to something that I've called the compassion scale. And using the story in today's text, Jesus illustrates this, this it's kind of like a, a progressive pattern of ministry when it comes to actually loving your neighbor and caring for those in need. So I want to look at this for you. I want to unpack it. Because I really believe that if we can catch what is being taught here, our Christianity can come alive outside of this space. Verse 33, we'll read, read it again. Then the despised Samaritan came along, and he saw the man, and he felt compassion. Verse 34, going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. So if I was building you a scale right here, it would start over here at zero. And at zero is what I'm going to call blindness. The people who had blindness on the compassion scale was the priest and the church, the temple assistant. They, they saw, but they didn't respond. Or they, 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 they saw and responded with the opposite thing that they should have done. And so there was this element of blindness that they carried. So we're going to give them a zero on the compassion scale. Number one on the compassion scale is what I'm going to call seeing a need. 
And so the Samaritan, it says right there, the Samaritan, as he walked, he saw a man on the ground. And so we're going to give him one point. You get one point for seeing the need. And we're going to be honest. I'm going to be honest with you. This isn't intuitive. This isn't something that just happens. He, like it's very easy to walk through life and just ignore everybody else. When I used to work, I've probably shared this story before, but when I used to work in the inner city in Edmonton, I remember talking to with a guy, I was talking to a guy, we called him Irish Mike. And Irish Mike, he came up to me. I don't, he wasn't even Irish, so I actually don't know why we called him Irish Mike. But uh, we called him Irish Mike. And uh, Irish Mike came up to me one time, and he said to me, he said, Adam, do you know how hard it is for me to ask somebody what time it is? And I was like, uh, no. He's like, as a homeless person, as soon as I walk up to anybody and say, hey, excuse me, they, they, they walk to the other side of the road. And that illustration, I've never been able to forget. And so when we live life, like as a Christian, zero is blindness. Number one is being able to actually see. So a helpful prayer for us to pray is, God, help me to see people the way you see people. So the next thing that happens is it says that he, that he felt compassion. So this, is, this would be what I would call number two on the compassion scale. We have blindness, we have seeing, and number two, we have feeling. We, 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 we feel compassion. There's something inside of us that gets moved. There, there, there's an empathy there. And sometimes, to be honest with you, empathy is something that you need to pray for. Because it's entirely possible that you grew up in a tough spot. And you didn't experience much empathy in your life. And so to feel empathy for somebody else, it actually needs to be a learned behavior. It's not, not intuitive. It doesn't just happen. There's maybe this, maybe you've been burned by people or hurt by people. So there's almost this kind of jadedness. When you see somebody else in need, you have this assumption, oh, I know why he's homeless. He's addicted to something. Oh, I know why they're hurting. They definitely did something wrong. Oh, I know why they're like that, because this happened. And there's this element that takes place where we lose our compassion. And if I can ask you anything as your pastor, please don't lose that. You got to fight for it. We got to fight for it. And sometimes, honestly, it comes just through an it comes through prayer. God, would you help me to be empathetic? Not just would you help me see people the way you see people, but Jesus, would you break my heart for the things that break yours? There's where we start. So zero blindness. Number one, seeing. Number two, feeling. And this is where a lot of us stay. Because level three, number three, is what I'm going to call um, going. And this is where we actually go to the person. And it takes a, uh, uh, it takes a certain amount of faith to move from I feel like I should do something to I'm actually going to do it. And unfortunately, oftentimes what happens is we get comfortable living in level zero, one, and two Christianity. And you can feel very full as a person because you see bad things, you recognize the bad things, you see the hurting people, you, you, you see them. You pray for the persecuted church, you give given an offering, you, 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 you've done these things. But there's this piece of you that it's, it's almost separate from who you are. What if, what if God placed you there 
so that you could be the answer to that person's prayers? What if you are the miracle? What if you are the person that they've been praying for? They're saying, God, don't you care? God, where are you? God, send somebody. And we're like the priest, and we're like the temple assistant who crosses to the other side of the road. So there's this, you're blind to it, or you see it, then you feel it, but there's something to be said about going over to the man. Something to be said about going to the person. Then number four is you actually do something. Because <laughs> it's one thing to start a conversation and be like, hey, how's it going? Do you need me to call 911? <laughs> hey, how's it going? You look like you're having a, a hard day. Is there some way I can, I can help you? Like, like that takes a lot more boldness. And my prayer for us as a church is that we would be bold when it comes to compassion, when it comes to helping people, when it comes to being a light in the community, is that, is that you would be bold. This is, this is why you're here. This is why God has you in the West Shore. This is why God has you where you are at this very moment, because you are part of his rescue plan for humanity. Not just to see the problems, not just to see the hurt, not just to feel the hurt, but to actually go and do something. Verse 35 says this. It says, next, he, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins. Now these two silver coins, this is actually pretty substantial. This is actually like three and a half weeks of wages. So it's not like, oh, here's a couple of pennies. Right? Let me see what I can give you. Right? Like, like here, here's some lint and, and a quarter. He gives two silver coins. He gives three and a half worth of three and a half like weeks wages. It says, here. Here's two silver coins. And this is what he tells them. He says, take care of this man. And if his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time that I'm here. So there's something. Be oh, I think I skipped a whole bunch, didn't I? I did. Verse uh, 34. Then he put the man on his own donkey. This is before he gets to the, the before he gets to the hotel. This is great preaching. Awkward. First, before he gets to the hotel, he puts the man on his donkey, and then he goes to the inn where he takes care of him. So we go blind. Then we see the problem. Then we feel the problem. Then we go to the person. Then we do something. But the next thing that we do is we say, "Hey, I want to help you." I want to sacrifice a little bit of me. There's this element of self-sacrifice is what I'm going to call number five. And this number five is not intuitive because this number five personally costs us something. This number five is inconvenient. This, this number five interrupts our day because you can come to somebody and say, oh, how can I help you? Here's a couple bucks and then move on. But there's something to be said about saying to him, hey, oh my gosh, what has happened to you? Can you just come onto my donkey and I am now going to take you to an inn to get you some help? There's, we need to allow ourselves to be divinely interrupted. I believe we're too busy as a church. I believe we're distracted as Christians. I believe that God is 
There are some of you in this room. This is me. I'm pointing at myself. So many times in life where I've said, God, give me, I want to make a difference today. I, I want to make an impact on somebody's life. And so many times I'm praying for God to use me, but I'm blind to the opportunities that are surrounding me everywhere. Because we all want the sexy stuff. We want the glamorous stuff. We want like the really exciting Christianity. But the truth is, normal, life-giving, life-changing, life-altering Christianity isn't glamorous at all. Thanks, Patrick. And it looks like interruptions. But we don't like being interrupted. And then we say, God, why aren't you moving in my life? It's because we don't like to be moved. And then we find ourselves in this interesting spot. Where we're like, Christianity doesn't make any sense. Like I want, I'm praying for God to move in my life, but I don't actually create space for God to move in my life. And so we need to get past that. Number five is self-sacrifice. Number six, I was so excited I told you about it early. It's the, it's the personal responsibility piece. He pays two weeks or three and a half weeks worth of wages. So like, like, like care for this man until he is better. Like there's this, there's this kind of, it's not just about the funds. It's actually about a, there's this relational investment that takes place. It's as though he's like taking personal responsibility and saying, you know what, this guy, I found him. I need to do whatever it takes to make him better. The part that impresses me of this little story is not the, the two silver coins that he gives out at first. It's the, if he goes over his tab, I'll come back and cover whatever the cost is. Like, like it, it says, I'm coming back. I, I'm, I am relationally invested in this person. He's not just a convert to me. He's not just a, a one and done, I invite him to church, boom, I get my Christian sticker. It's a, I want to make a difference in this person's life. I want to show love and respect to this person. And so I will do everything it takes, everything I can to make that happen. And that's honorable. That's exciting stuff. Verse 36 now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who attacked, was attacked by bandits? Oh, my word, I'm all over the place. The man who replied, the one who showed me mercy, showed him mercy. Then Jesus says, yes, of course it was him. Now go and do the same. And as I was praying for you today, I believe the, the word I believe the prophetic word, if I, if I can go as bold as to say that, is it's time for us as a church to go and do the same. And that actually doesn't look like programs. That looks like us as individuals saying, okay, I'm in. I'm going to go and do the same. Because you see, the Samaritan didn't take this guy and then go and start a, a meal program. And the Samaritan didn't come over to this guy and say, great, I'm so excited that you're here. I'm just going to invite you to Alpha. And once we get through Alpha, what I'm going to do is I'm going to start a care ministry. And through my care ministry, I'm then going to plug you in there and get you uh, uh, a program. <laughs> this, this verse isn't about programs. The story isn't about 
things that the church structure should go and do. It's deeper. It's, it's if you're going to call yourself a Christian, this needs to be how you see the world. This, this is how your Christianity comes alive. This is how we make an impact in our society. And so my question for you today is, where do you think you would find yourself on that compassion scale? Or where would you find yourself on this love your neighbor scale? Maybe you're in the zero category. <laughs> and my prayer for you, if you find yourself blind, my prayer for you is that you would ask Jesus to help you to see people. And maybe, see, as I was writing this, it might not be so much that, that you are blind to people but it might actually be that you're spiritually blind. I don't mean this as an indictment. I'm not like, tsk, 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 you're spiritually blind. I mean this as, friend, did you know that Jesus is real? And he has a plan for your life. And he wants to show you a way of living that is so much better than you could ever possibly imagine. And even better than you seeing people the way Jesus sees people, you may need to actually pray the prayer, God, would you help me to see you the way I'm supposed to see you? We gotta start there first. So before I even get any further, if you find yourself today where you don't have a relationship with Jesus, or maybe you have one, but if you're honest, it's not all that vibrant. It's not all that alive. Somehow it's become more about routine than it is about relationship. I wanna pray with you before we even get to the rest of the scale. Let's start here. Because if we don't start with Jesus, we're wasting all of our time. So if this is speaking to you, I wanna invite you to pray with me. Jesus, would you come alive inside my heart again? Thank you that you're real. Thank you that you're here. Thank you for what you're doing. I didn't expect this morning to look like this. Lord, help me to see myself the way you see me. God, where there is sin in my life, God, I don't want to deal, I don't, I don't want that to be a part of my story anymore. God, help me to forgive people that have hurt me. Help me to stop doing the things that I know hurt others and hurt you. Come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. Show me what that even means, Lord. Because I really need you. I need you. I want to walk with you. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, you just prayed the best prayer you could ever possibly pray. So some of you today, it may be that you need to start seeing people the way you, way, the way God wants you to see people. Maybe it's a feeling thing. And for some of you, you've been in this so long that somehow you've gotten jaded and you've stopped feeling. Or somehow you've convinced yourself that feeling and Christianity, they don't go hand in hand. 
or somehow you've convinced yourself that feeling is too touchy-feely, you need to feel. There's something to be said about feeling. And for you, my prayer for you is that you would, that, that God would stir that inside of you. Then there's the going. Some of you, you need to go. God has asked you to go. <laughs> Some of you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The Holy Spirit has been speaking to you. It's time to go. Might be starting a new job. Might be going to an unknown land. Might be stepping into the mission field. Might be switching your kids' schools. Might be, I don't know what it is, but God is calling you to go. You know, it's time to go, and I want to encourage you, do it. Some of you, it's doing. It's number four, the do scale. You need to do something. You've been standing on the sidelines too long. You've been sitting and watching as other people tell these great stories, and there's this piece of almost jealousy inside of you. Like, God, why won't you use me? Friend, it's time to get off the bench and into the game. You've been waiting for the, the, the ref to blow the whistle so that way you can stop the game. You can come on. It doesn't work like that. You can just, you just get off the bench and come onto the game on your own. You've been waiting for God to call you in. Friend, he's already called you in. Get off the bench and get in the game. Number five, self-sacrifice. Some of you where Christianity has become too convenient. And you can do it, but you don't even, it doesn't, you don't even feel it. Like it's, it's like, it's just like so routine that like it doesn't actually take any sacrifice at all anymore. You're just kind of there doing it. And I believe, I believe your next step is to ask God, Lord, what is it that you want for me in this season? And some of you may not even have thought you can pray that prayer. What is it that you want from me in this season? Next one, personal responsibility. I can assure you right now your prayer life will look much differently if you take personal responsibility for the broken people who are in your life. If you take personal responsibility for the people who are hurting and wounded, things will change. My prayer is that we'd be able to live an above and beyond type of Christianity where we step out and do the things that God asks us to do. Would you stand with me? I know I went a bit long, so I was going to close. Let me pray for you. Jesus, I thank you that you're real. And Jesus, I thank you that you're here. And Jesus, I thank you for what it is that you are doing. God, each person in this room is here for a reason. You've got a plan and a purpose for everybody in this space. God, I pray, Lord, that you would surprise us with who you are. I pray, Lord, that you would surprise us with what you're doing and what you want to do in us and through us. And God, I pray, Lord, I pray that you would reveal to us, continue to real, reveal to us over these next few weeks the heart of the Father. God, that we would see and feel and think as you think. We love you, Lord. We give you this morning.